Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, this is Kate. I am taking the week off from preparing new episodes and re-airing some episodes that originally ran last July on rethinking drinking. After all, it is dry January. So whether or not you're celebrating this holiday, is it a holiday? Anyway, January is a great time to think about your relationship to alcohol and decide if there's any changes you need to make about it. I hope that these episodes will help walk you through that and that you'll be able to approach these episodes with a spirit of curiosity and that they'll help you see whatever is ready to be seen. Enjoy. What if you could become a better person, not by working harder, but by taking one small step a day? And not because you're a bad person now, but because there's something inside you that's ready for more. How to Be a Better Person gives you one tiny step a day you can take to be the person you want to be. My mission? To help you live your best life. Hi, and welcome to How to Be a Better Person. This is Kate. I'm your host and author of the book, How to Be a Better Person. This week on the podcast is all about rethinking our relationship to alcohol. After all, a big cataclysmic event like a global pandemic is a natural time to rethink a lot of things. Last week, or two weeks ago actually, I covered how so many of us are questioning what we want out of work. This week's episode continues in that theme of re-examination. Let's just see what there is to be seen about our relationship to alcohol. Today, I'm talking with Sarah Kate, founder of the website Some Good Clean Fun an advocate for breaking free from mommy wine culture. Sarah Kate is on a mission to open up the conversation around women and alcohol, and I'm excited to talk to her today about how women can rethink drinking. Sarah Kate, it's so great to have you. Thank you so much for having me today, and good morning. Good morning. So we see a lot of the glamorization of alcohol from the cosmopolitans that they drank nonstop in Sex in the City or the wines and cocktail companies started by celebrity like Cameron Diaz's new vintage. But to be an informed consumer of alcohol, we need to expose ourselves to the flip side too, not just the glamorous stuff. Mm -hmm. So what are the physical and physiological negative effects of alcohol? So this is one of the most interesting things that that really um, falls under the radar of you know most people's understanding of their own health. We have been taught that alcohol is uh, rewarding and it's you know it, it makes us feel good and there is some truth to that in the sense that for about fifteen minutes or twenty minutes you you do get a buzz you do feel great and you do feel a little bit of stress relief. But mm -hmm. unfortunately, what we don't learn about, especially as women who are interested in personal health, uh, we don't talk about what the what the negative effects are after that 15 minutes. And in a nutshell, your body always wants to be in homeostasis. 
So it will work really hard to get back to, uh, to homeostasis. And what alcohol does, even, a, even one glass, it releases all these hormones in your brain and, and uh, makes your, your body systems uh, fluctuate. And so your body releases them to get back to homeostasis. It releases things like cortisol. It plays around with your GABA and your glutathione levels. And, um, you know, I don't want to get too scientific, but all these things then make you feel more grumpy, more anxious, more depressed. And, um, you know, they don't, it doesn't contribute positively to personal health and wellness. And on, when you when you then combine that with, let's say, you know, you've had two or three glasses of wine at a mom's night, and you you wake up in the morning, and you're dehydrated. So that's another um, aspect. Most people know that you get dehydrated from drinking. But you know, you wake up in the morning, and you're you're hungover, you're dehydrated, and you're you're not only physically not feeling great, but mentally, you're also not feeling great about yourself. And a lot of times we don't attribute that to drinking. We we either think, oh my god, I shouldn't have drank so much last night. You know, I'm not going to do that again. Uh, I'm gonna you know I'm gonna be healthy today. I'm gonna drink my water and eat my vegetables. Um, but you you have an underlying sense of not feeling mentally quite right a lot of times and that that is directly attributable to your body um trying to adjust to flushing out the toxins from your system so physiologically and and psychologically there's a very small benefit of you know 15 minutes of, of dopamine but then it takes your body and your mind a lot longer to to get rid of those those harmful effects and when you add on, you know, a glass of wine here, a glass of wine there, you know, a cocktail, a gin and tonic, it all adds up, it all adds up to making us as women, question ourselves more stressed, more anxious, and not understanding why and always seeking a solution for this, Mm. this, this anxiety and stress we're all feeling. And there's no amount of wine (laughs) (laughs) that can can give you stress relief, right? Right? It well, it's, it's a paradox, it sounds like, that we we turn to wine for the relaxation and the stress relief, but it actually sounds like it promotes the chemicals of stress and anxiety, you know, we're, it does. we're, per- we're perpetuating yeah. what we're seeking to alleviate. That's exactly it. That is exactly right, is that we don't we we don't talk about this enough. We don't, uh, you know, we we hear this message, oh, drinking is bad, but we don't talk we don't understand you know we we never learn even as young people what that means physiologically in your body and mm-hmm. it's we're, we're it's a it's a not a double edged sword but yeah it's a repetitive cycle we're seeking something to make us feel better and it, and it's actually making us feel worse but we don't know that mm. i've got some more questions for you and they're coming up right after this break and we're back are there unique perils of alcohol for women? You know, you started to talk about this a little bit, but yeah, I'm curious. Yeah, I think one of the biggest, most recent sort of breakthroughs in this conversation about alcohol and women is that it is now directly correlated to an increased risk of breast cancer. Mm. And the the thing that sort of saddens me is that this this message 
is getting uh, missed or, or not not being talked about enough. And I, I'm not going to get into all the medical information because I, you know, your your listeners can can Google that. And um, but it's it, it is directly correlated to an increased risk of breast cancer. Even one drink, zero drinks are the recommended amount for completely lowering your risk when it comes mm-hmm. to alcohol of, of breast cancer. And that sort of message, unfortunately, is not, it's not sort of getting embraced by women in, in other, you know, such as other messages about breast cancer risk, you know, get, you know, don't, don't wear, um, don't wear deodorant. You know, now there's this massive movement for like, don't worry, don't wear deodorant because it could cause breast cancer. Uh, or specific specific deodorants. Um, mm-hmm. uh, you know, don't drink don't drink be- uh, from uh, bottles that have BPA in them because that could cause mm-hmm. breast cancer. And you know, it's you're drinking you're drinking wine out of a stainless steel water bottle at the farmers market, <laughs> <laughs> right? And so right. that to me is such. It's I I if I could just say one thing is that this is a really easy way to reduce your risk. It's not going to prevent breast cancer if you're if you are. If if it if there are other things in your life that could contribute to that, but it is just a, a a great preventative health for women is to is to not is to reduce the amount that they drink or you know really really minimum minimally drink minimally or not at all. Um, so that's the that's to me is the number one risk for women. And the second you know the second risk is just that our bodies tolerate alcohol differently than men do, mm-hmm. and there are a lot there are a lot of there's there's more and more research going on about this now, but women and men, the way we tolerate and break down alcohol and and the harmful effects are completely different. And it's so it's much more riskier for women to to drink heavily than it is for men. Not not that it's not a risk for men, but it's mm-hmm. there's just that fact alone. And then the third part is the mental part of it is that the the risk for women is that we often are the caregivers. We're we're often the keeping the household together. We've got we've we're trying to juggle it all, and you know when you add the 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 impact of of drinking into that, the risk is is that everything falls apart. Mm. Your mental health falls apart, and then your family starts falling apart. It's it's more acute because we're trying to juggle it all as women. Right. What do you think that's why the mommy wine culture is such a thing? You know, I was in Party City recently. My son just graduated from fifth grade and they have those stickers that are stick figures that represent members of the family, you know, that you put on the back of your car. (laughs) And there was there was a stick figure of a woman holding a wine glass and it said on the label, party mom. (laughs) Like, why is this such a thing? (laughs) I was thinking back about this and this is a hard question to answer. Where did this start? And, you know, you mentioned at the top sex in the city and the cosmopolitans. And mm-hmm. so I'm, you know, I'm aging myself here, but I was just uh, finishing university when sex in the city first came out. Mm-hmm. You're 20, you're in your twenties, you've got some income, you're on your own, you're living independently. And I lived in Toronto, so big city. And, um, you know, you you just feel like you light you know you've got life in front of you and then sex in the city is is glamorizing that that same life your girlfriends drinking going out having fun partying and that was the first time that women saw a gr- a group of women like that and the show was about the women and their struggles and and it was centralized around socializing and having drinks and you know that sort of glamorous life so it's like the, my generation, not just my generation, but it kind of started with, with women my age 
seeing that on TV for the first time and being empowered and saying, I can, I can, you know, I want to drink like that. I want to have fun like that. I can be independent and I can be empowered. And um, that's part of it. This, you know, the, that, I think that then started leading to the mommy wine culture because these, you know, you're all the single ladies started settling down, getting married and having, um, having kids. And all of a sudden they're not independent anymore. They're, they're not empowered and they're turning to that escape. They want to, you know, I, I definitely, you know, I, I wanted to go back to my twenties and, and live vicariously again. Right. Um, Maybe it's holding on to her trying to have the best of both to, worlds. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, well, you know, the kids are asleep Well, I'm, and I can't go out to a party. So I'm just gonna have a party in my own house. And this is something that I went through when I was rethinking drinking was, what is it? it it's not just about the about drinking. It's It's about what's underneath that and peeling back the layers. And that's a whole other conversation about recovery. Mm hmm you know, for people who are who need that help. For me, it was like, I just don't feel good. And I don't mm -hmm. want to drink in the evenings. Why am I why do I keep giving myself excuses and reaching for that? And I peeled back the onion and realized part of it was because I was missing socializing, going out to parties, like having all the things that you know, moms do for their kids, driving them to soccer, um, you know, juggling, tutoring, all those types of things. I, I was trying to live vicariously in the half hour or 45 minutes while I'm making dinner. And then, you know, the 45 minutes before I go to bed, it's like, well, mm -hmm. you know, if I can't go out somewhere and socialize and have fun, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to let loose, foot loose and fancy free while I'm <laughs> cooking up the kids macaroni and cheese, like, <laughs> you know, yeah. and like, you know, so I, I think that's part, this is just my theory. And there's a lot of, a lot of research and literature out there about how women started drinking period like how did we start drinking so heavily and that that's a whole other conversation about feminism and women in the workplace and you know, having having higher level corporate jobs and the impact of of male culture trying to fit into male culture that's that's one piece of it but i think the mommy wine culture specifically is because we're all you try, not not trying to live live back in our 20s but we're looking for some something for ourselves we're looking for some fun and we know we can only squeeze in, you know, 15 minutes here, 15 minutes there. And then that turns into hiding your wine in a coffee cup, mm -hmm. right? Because mm -hmm. you don't want to be judged by your family for having wine in the afternoon. Or, and uh, we've, to me, we've now jumped the shark on some of these things with the social media memes of, you know, women, women bragging about where they're hiding their wine and, uh, and or pouring an entire bottle of wine into a flower vase and drinking it. Right. And, like, I, I, I couldn't believe that when I saw that I thought that this is not even funny. It's, <sighs> it's not funny. But people don't know that they, they laugh at it. They think it's funny. Right. And if you and if you call them out for it, then in the comments, like, this is really not a healthy level of drinking, like, maybe you should go for a walk or, or, you know, if you're feeling not great about yourself, have some water, get a back rub, like something, um, yeah. people, people get really angry, like, oh, yeah, anti alcohol police, that's, that's not actually what I'm saying. Right? It's we as women, it's really, really important that we're empowering each other, or we're never going to get ahead. We're never going to be empowered. And some of this narrative um, around wine culture is definitely disempowering. It's uh, reinforcing the message that we need something like alcohol, an addictive substance mm -hmm. to to cope. So, right. 
man, I could go down a wormhole. I always love it when <laughs> feminism comes up and, you know, women Me are too. <laughs> women are doing a lot more work around the house and they're out in the world. And now we're starting yeah. to take care of our older parents. And it's like kind yeah. of instant stress relief. Like I get it. And I've used it that way too. Yeah. Yeah. Well, but as you say, you know, it has these unintended consequences and primary, I mean, primary for me, at least in this conversation is that it delivers the opposite of the result that we want. So that's right. For women who want to start rethinking their drinking, where do you recommend they start? This is such a great question. And I love talking about this because this is the first thing I want to say right off the top of this question is that everybody has a different journey. Mm -hmm. Every single woman is going to approach this differently and is in a different place in their journey, is in a different spot in their ability to shift their their habits and mindset and, and, and that kind of thing. Different tools and resources work different uh, differently for different people. So mm -hmm. I'm just going to put that out there that not, um, not everybody is going to follow the same journey I did. However, I do mm -hmm. also want to say to anybody listening to this, that if you have not told somebody or if you have if you're afraid of admitting you have a, a bad relationship with alcohol because you're worried about going to a dusty church basement to an AA meeting, that mm -hmm. is the farthest thing from the truth. And this is what has prevented women from standing up and talking about their relationship with alcohol. So that's that's I just want to reassure people that like if, if you're listening to this and you do feel like you know, I'm not really happy about how much I drink, but I'm afraid to tell somebody, you know, don't, there's lots of resources. So for me, what I, what I did is I started reading a book called This Naked Mind. And This Naked Mind is by an author named, a woman named Annie Grace. And she wrote it several years ago and has, and, and has since then launched a, um, you know, a whole bunch of other things, written some other books, but um, This Naked Mind at the beginning of the book, she says, there's no judgment, there are no rules. And this is your journey. And if you want to keep drinking while reading this, go ahead, but you won't want to when you're finished. Mm -hmm. And she was right. I read mm -hmm. the book in about four days, and signed up immediately for her um, alcohol experiment, 30 day alcohol experiment. Mm -hmm. And I did the 30 days. And the reason why the book worked for me, and it, it, I know a friend of mine's read it, and it didn't really resonate with her. But the reason it worked for me is because a, I'm a, I'm a huge feminist. <laughs> and so there was pieces of it that really resonated with me. But but B, she really breaks down the psychology, she calls them liminal points, where, on the one hand, we have a message, uh, alcohol makes you feel good, or alcohol makes you more, more social at a party and more taught, like, you know, better able to socialize. And then she actually takes the medical, physiological, and psychological facts and breaks that down, breaks that all down, that after a couple of drinks, you start to slow down your speech, you're, you start to slur a little bit, your, your brain synapses, your executive function is not able to respond in, in a creative way anymore. You know, you've, you and I, we've, we've both been at parties where, you know, you're talking to somebody, you can tell that they're starting to slow down how they're talking, you know, they've mm -hmm. repeated themselves a few times, right? So the truth is that, you know, it, in, the, in the book, she points out, you know, does alcohol make you, you know, like better as a person at a party? I would say no, but um, so she breaks down these liminal points. That's where I started. It, 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 it was a non-judgmental there was no rules. It was, I could take it at my own pace. I read the book. I couldn't believe it, uh, that I hadn't learned all these things that, you know, oh my God, it does what it does, what it does, what like mm -hmm. it opened my eyes to all that. Mm -hmm. 
I did the 30 day experiment. It was a free, it's a free thing, a free thing. She offers a 30 day alcohol experiment. And then I started what I call rethinking drinking. So with the same premise of no judgment, no rules, you know, I just decided every single day I was going to, I wasn't going to drink. And there were days when I, I, you know, I, I'm not going to say I slipped, but where I just needed a reminder <laughs> why I didn't like it anymore. And um, so it took me from, you know, I'd say, let's say a good five or six months to like sort of get fully clean of, or not clean of it, but just decide, no, I don't like this anymore. And so I haven't really had, I haven't had a, a sip of anything to drink since uh, just like Christmas Eve, I had a glass of red wine and I was like, yeah, I don't like this anymore. Mm -hmm. So that I would say if somebody was going to start today, pick up Annie Grace's book, you can get it on Amazon, you can get it digitally through all the different, you know, various um, places online to get it. And then take it day by day, start start journaling and start digging deep into yourself and ask yourself, keep asking yourself why? And is, is, is this what I need right now? Do I need um, a foot rub? Do I need to scream and cry and pound my feet on the floor and have a tantrum? Do it. <laughs> if you're feeling like, right, like if you're feeling frustrated, and you just want to scream, go upstairs, scream into your pillow, have a tantrum, cry, ask your husband for a foot massage or your partner, um, go for, a uh, you know, run as fast as you can around the block to let out your frustration think about why, what is your why? And that's what worked for me. It may not work for everyone, but I would say that's a great place to start. Right. And I would say that even listening to this episode is a start. So, mm-hmm. you know, absolutely. This, this absolutely. Feels like a, yeah, absolutely. Sarah, Sarah, Kate, thank you so much for sharing your story with us and sharing all this information for folks who'd like to connect with you. Where can they find you? So you can find us writing uh, on some goodcleanfund.com, which is a publication as Kate mentioned off the top. I'm also on Instagram. Uh, the publication is at, at Rethinking Drinking, and I am at Some Good Clean Fun on Instagram. So you can find us there. Awesome. Thank you so much for being here today. Thanks for having me today, Kate. Have a great day. Hi, it's Kate back with your tiny assignment. I really thought it was interesting how Sarah Kate was talking about trying to figure out what it is that you're looking for when you're reaching for a drink. She was talking about it in terms of moms, (laughs) specifically, maybe you're a mom, maybe you're not a mom, but there is probably something that you're craving kind of deep down inside. Maybe it's not immediately apparent when you are thinking about having a glass of wine. I mean, it might be something pretty basic like relaxation, but it might be something different like feeling free or feeling rebellious. So that's your tiny assignment. Next time you want to have a drink, just kind of really do a little bit of investigative questioning. Like, what is it that I really want right now? You don't have to change it. You can still have a drink if you want to. I'm not sitting here saying this is what you need to do in order to not have that drink. I'm just saying If you can really figure out what's going on, then you have a different set of information, which helps you take make your decisions from a different vantage point and one that is true. So I hope that you will come back tomorrow when I'm interviewing. I have two interviews this week. I'm interviewing Michelle Smith of Recovery is the New Black. And she's really going to share with us how you can start to tell if your drinking really is becoming a problem and if you find that it is, what to do about it. Thanks for listening to How to Be a Better Person. Our theme song is Left for Deadish by Junior85. 
The podcast is mixed by Sound Advice Strategies. If you liked what you heard in this episode, share it with someone you think would like it too. Your voice matters. Also, How to Be a Better Person has an official newsletter that sends the past seven episodes, a sneak peek of the week ahead, and one well-chosen meme to your inbox every Saturday morning. Sign up at BeABetterPersonPodcast.com and click on Get Podcast News. I also love to hear from listeners. I mean, I love it. Send me an email by clicking on the Contact Kate button at BeABetterPersonPodcast.com. Tweet me at Kate Han, K-A-T-E-H-A-N, or find me on Instagram at Kate Hanley Author. I look forward to connecting with you. 